This is the Right to Read initiative, a webcast and podcast dedicated to helping advance uh, our knowledge about how to make sure all of our students in our classrooms are reading. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by uh, Mr. Brendan Lee from Australia, and he is behind Learn with Mr. Lee. And uh, we're going to be talking about his journey and where he's gone from his pre-service training to where he is now uh, advocating and helping fellow teachers learn uh, best strategies and instructional approaches for students. Hello. Can you give viewers a little bit more details about who you are and what you do? You're frozen again. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, my name is Brendan Lee. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where I got off there, but yeah, so currently I'm an assistant principal at a primary school in New South Wales, but I uh, probably haven't followed the stereotypical path uh, into this position. Um, you know, I was probably always destined uh, to become a teacher. Uh, my, my mother's a teacher and you know, a lot of the times teachers are, are part of bigger families of teachers. You know, my sister's now a teacher. And, um, and so I was probably destined for it, but I didn't go straight into teaching. I was a personal trainer for a bit and um, and actually started off in high school teaching. Um, yeah, and I was a high school teacher for almost 10 years. And I guess I, uh, I, I rode the roller coaster that a lot of teachers go through, you know, those ups and downs. And I got to a stage in my career where uh, I just wasn't really feeling that, that same drive and connection to teaching that I once had. And I actually uh, left for a couple of years. You know, I was, I was feeling a bit demoralised and deflated and uh, undervalued with what I was doing. And so I left and um, I ran a cafe for a couple of years and um, eventually decided to return to teaching, um, you know, like, you start those sorts of things um, for your family and, and I just didn't see my family for a couple of years and, and so just made that call to uh, return to teaching. But um, I guess, you know, when I reflected, I felt like a lot of those issues I was having as a teacher stemmed from um, having students that were coming in into high school just disengaged um, and that kind of didn't sit right with me. and. And so I thought, well, you know, rather than being one of those people that kind of sits on the sidelines and just makes comments and whinges and complains about these kids that we're getting, you know, from primary school, um, I thought that, yeah, I would try to figure out what's, what's happening, um, you know, over, over at that end of the um, schooling system and uh, see if I could, yeah, either make a change or um, work out what the problem was. And, and so, yeah, I, I made that transition into primary teaching. Um, Definitely suffered from the Dunning-Kruger effect where I felt like I knew more than I did. And, and you know, when you're in high school, you think, oh, you know, how hard can it be, uh, you know, to go back into primary, you know, teach and reading and, and maths, that can't be that hard. Um, and so, you know, I rock up into this year four classroom and, um, yeah, it was a very humbling experience that, that those first kind of couple of years of, of just, you know, feeling like a beginning teacher again where you, you've got to, you know what it should like what a successful classroom feels like you know because I've taught you know year 12 um, classes and um, I know what it feels like but I just couldn't make it happen because I didn't have I guess um, that the knowledge that I needed 
in order to teach my students what they needed to know. And, um, you know, so I, I kind of went around um, seeing what other teachers were doing and asking, like, you know, how do you, how do you teach kids to read or what questions that I thought were quite simple and ended up being, you know, really, uh, really complicated where I either wasn't getting an answer um, or what I was seeing, you know, so the main thing that I was being told to do was like the literacy group stuff. So, yeah, as I said, I had a year four class. So that's like, um, you know, nine, 10 year olds um, over here. And um, so usually, you know, that, we're assuming that they should be able to read by that stage, able to read and write. But yeah, you know, like a lot of teachers, um, I had students that were having difficulties there. Um, but yeah, so I was told to do these literacy groups where I just found them really quite fiddly to manage, um, you know, to set up. Firstly, you know, you've got all of these resources that you've got to put together and then you've got to have, uh, you know, four or five, six different groups around the classroom um, so firstly, you've got a, that, that classroom management part of it where you've got to make sure that they're all on task. Um, you want to try to be having effective things happening at them, uh, which can be very difficult if you haven't explicitly taught any of it. Uh, and then it also, you know, you've got to think about the fact that you're only with one group, you know, so like I was with one group and, you know, maybe I might have been helping that group, but then the rest of the class, I just felt like um, there wasn't a lot of learning happening, um, you know, and, you know, teachers talk about, yeah, like once you set it up, well, then you know what you're doing for the whole week and, uh, you know, then you just keep repeating that routine. And, again, I was just thinking, but like, when, when is the learning happening? And, and I'm only with that group, you know, um, specifically for maybe 10 minutes in a, a lesson or, or, you know, it might be a bit longer over the week. But really, yeah, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me. So um, I've I done a bit more probing and uh, you've seen the background there. I've got Reading for Life. So I was introduced to that book, Reading for Life from Lynn Stone. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Writing Revolution um, from Matt Wexler and uh, Judith Hockman. And those two books, they just um, really opened my eyes to, I guess, the mistakes that not only I was making, but that I was seeing um, across the school. And, um, yeah, so that, that's probably... What, what kind of started me on, I guess, um, the journey of being a more evidence-informed um, teacher. Like when I returned, I definitely had that drive and that sense of purpose, um, but I didn't know exactly how I needed to kind of make things happen and, and make learning happen in, in the classroom. So, um, yeah, I just found, yeah, once you kind of, once you start to, you know, dig in and, and you, you get into that rabbit hole of research, it's, it's really hard to get out of it because there's just so much to learn. And, um, I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed that side of it because I feel like um, the more I've learned, the more confident I've felt in being an effective teacher and then also, um, yeah, leading others. Yeah, well, that's that's awesome that you've done this journey. And, again, you know, you have those books that really make the difference for your understanding and your comprehension of the situation. And it's so hard to be sitting there, uh, you know, in the classroom saying, am I really doing enough? Uh, and how could I do be doing more, but not really knowing the best places to look. So do you want to give us a little bit of information about learning with Mr. Lee or is it learn with Mr. Lee? Yeah. Sorry. Um, 
when I yeah when I decided to return, I thought like I wanted to um, extend my influence beyond my classroom and and also just kind of like for me, it's a process of solidifying what I learned. You know, when you like they say, you know, when you um, write things down, it um, it just makes those you know those schemas um, a lot stronger. And so I found that process really effective for me uh, in making sure like you know when you put things down and it's out to the public you know you don't necessarily know how many people are going to read it but when it's out in the public it just kind of makes you think a bit deeper about what you're actually saying rather than just saying it um i've you know always been of that belief of of trying to understand the other side you know so not just um look at things from one perspective but look at it from both sides so like if if this is one way of doing things well then why are people doing it another way and so just trying to find that out was um has has been quite important and so that's kind of where um, my strategic way of thinking has probably come into it and so when i've when i've been um you know luckily with the internet now there's just um there's so many resources available um you know for teachers and and for anyone uh to i guess find the information that they need but i've also found you know social media um, is really effective. Like here in Australia, we've got um, the Reading Science in Schools uh, Facebook group. I think it's, there's over 20,000 members there. And it's just, it's operated by, um, you know, a few teachers. Um, and basically, you know, whether you're a start of your, your um, science of reading journey or, or you're, you know, more experienced and, and applying it in the classroom, it's just a really good community there. And, and I know that there's a lot of um, those sorts of communities online at the moment. Um, you know, I've connected with a lot of people uh, through Twitter and, and um, you know, that sort of thing has, um, I guess, allowed um, teachers to find like-minded teachers or educators uh, because they might not necessarily be at their school. Uh, and, you know, like I know that you've got um, Dr Nathaniel Swain coming up for a chat and, um, you know, he's the founder of um, this amazing organisation, Think Forward Educators, and... Like, I think that's been a bit of a game changer for a lot of people in Australia, especially, you know, during the last couple of years with, with lockdown and everything. I think um, people have started to realise, I guess, the not only the importance of, um, you know, upskilling yourself, but actually the ability to do it anywhere, anytime, uh, you know, with anyone. And I think it's going to be a bit of a... Um, like I said, yeah, game changer for professional development. You know, I think that's kind of the, the line that we're going to start heading where um, we'll have a lot more ability to kind of pick and choose what we need um, and what will be effective. But, yeah, Think Forward Educators has um, basically, if you're not aware of it, it, it is a platform that allows um, educators to learn off other educators, uh, you know, whether that's through webinars or I'm part of a, um, a mentoring committee where we kind of pair up, um, you know, more experienced uh, teachers, or not necessarily experienced, but I guess uh, closer to expert teachers uh, with, with novices who need a bit of support with implementing, yeah, that evidence in their classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that sort of thing is um, has been really valuable to not only my learning, but I know a lot of um, other teachers in Australia here, um, yeah, they're learning. And I think, you know, over where you guys are and 
um, you know, with the, and you know, we're, we're kind of seeing it across a number of different countries now, over in the UK as well. Um, I know that they've just uh, released their um, their latest. Did you say? I think it was this morning or yesterday. Um, they've made some changes on their English curriculum as well, and and I think what um, what we're starting to see is that the evidence is just so overwhelming um, that you know those at the top, whether it's at that government level um, or whether it is you know the curriculum or, or whatever it is, uh, they have to they have to say, well, this is how you have to teach because we can't afford to be doing the wrong thing anymore. But at our level, you know, at that school level, it doesn't mean that it just, you know, we click our fingers and it just happens. And I think um, that's the, the really important stage that a lot of schools are at now and uh, teachers and, and leaders is just, just managing that change and understanding uh, people and, and, you know, that decision-making process and, um, kind of what we're up against because, you know, a lot of those school leaders, they were trained in, uh, you know, reading recovery and, and they were trained in balanced literacy and all that stuff. And so um, it's got to be hard to kind of break break away from that. You know, um, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest, um, you know, challenges. There's a, that cognitive um, dissonance where... Um, you know, we hear new information that contradicts what we think we know. And so we get on the defensive and, and breaking through that can be quite difficult. Um, yeah, I know that, that that's probably like the more I kind of engage with um, educators, you know, whether it's on social media or whatever, that's probably the biggest kind of question that I get after, you know, like what, what do I have to do? That's the next question is, okay, well, how do I do that when I'm not getting the, the support? from uh, the rest of the school. Um, yeah, so I'll kind of forget what the question was. <laughs> Does that, that kind of help with that? Um, That's I guess. great. I mean, what we're having to do is, you know, get out of the mud, right? And, you know, deal with that flat tire of a program or programs that aren't really in line. We're seeing, um, you know, the recent article in the New York Times about Lucy Calkins program and, you know, how some of these bigger programs that have been trusted and around for years aren't doing what they need to do. And they're, they're trying to add it in. But I think we need to be critical uh, of this and take a critical lens and seeing how they're making the changes and realize that sometimes it's best to go from, you know, a, a fresh start. And that can be very intimidating and and challenging uh especially when even you know a lot of our pre-service teachers or the ones that are just coming in didn't have the you know what the phonics approach to learning they were taught in a balanced literacy whole language curriculum and they learned how to read uh and they didn't have the struggles so they they don't realize the other side of the coin for the kids that aren't getting it and we need to do better so what I was wondering is where did you start out from going from those literacy circles in year four? What was your first step to make that change? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, whether it's a positive or not, like um, 
a lot of teachers have a bit of autonomy with what actually happens in their own classroom. And, and so as I started to learn things, I was able to start, um, I guess, experimenting a bit in my own classroom and yeah, just trying out some more explicit teaching strategies, um, you know, starting to understand where my students were actually at, you know, like doing some screeners and, um, yeah, and finding out, well, this is, you know, this is what they know is like, yeah, they're not where they should be, but this is where they are. And I've got to teach for, um, for them as to where they are, meet them where they are. And, um, I guess, yeah, like probably the, the main thing that I just started doing was I just moved to, and I, I spoke to another, um, another teacher and I just asked her, I said, like, you know, do I have to do the groups? Like, I know that everyone else is doing it, but do I have to do do the groups? And she actually said to me, no, you don't have to. Um, that's actually not how I would do it. And, and she was, um, at that stage, she was in a non-teaching role. Mm-hmm. And, and so she started to work with me as to, okay, well, so how can can you just repeat that what will it look like if we move um yeah so how can we move away from that and move more towards a kind of gradual release of um, responsibility and and that sort of model is is where i I started to move into um where it was that whole class explicit teaching and then yeah as students were showing me um that they were capable, then I would start to kind of yeah release release them to kind of do some independent work. Uh, so rather than starting with the groups, I'd start as a whole group and then drop off into smaller groups um, and provide that more structured support for those that needed it. Rather than I think you know sometimes we we share like we we have kind of mixed ability groups um, and so you know we've got. And then we rely on our students to help each other out. But again, that's that's a skill in itself is, you know, that cooperative learning. Um, it's it's a pretty tricky skill for, you know, nine, ten-year-olds to, to develop. Uh, and if you're not explicitly teaching them how to do that, well, then you can't really expect them to be teachers. You know, like it's hard enough for adults to be teachers, effective teachers. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we expect that of our um, yeah, young people, and, and they're probably not quite ready for it. And so, yeah, I, you know, I moved back more into that that role of the teacher being the expert in the classroom. Mm. Um, yeah, and I just found it a lot more effective uh, in, in terms of, firstly, I knew that students were learning. Um, I could see the progress, um, you know, and I was, I was linking up um what we're, you know, reading in class with our writing. And I think that's another area where, you know, um, teachers who are starting off in in that science of reading, that they struggle to understand how to fit it all in because they're used to having these these time slots where they do, you know, different things. And and so, um, yeah, I think getting them to see how, well, if we link it all up, it actually builds up their background knowledge so that then they can be more effective writers anyway. You know, at that kind of, um, that year three, year four level, a lot of teachers are, you know, looking at those uh, reading comprehension strategies. That's what I was, I was seeing a lot of was, um, you know, scanning and uh, trying to give them those skills when the students actually didn't know what they were reading in the first place. So how can they know what the main idea is if they have no idea what they're reading? And so 
Uh, yeah, that was, you know, I, I found all of that was um, a, a big experience for me in terms of um, seeing, yeah, seeing progress happen, but also just understanding that just because everyone else is doing one thing, that doesn't mean it's the best way of doing things. I think that that's a trap that we can fall into as well as teachers is that we, we just, we're stuck in a little bubble. And so we're just looking around us, seeing what's happening in that room next door or across the school, or, or you know, you might even be looking at, it, at other schools in your area. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are using an evidence informed, um, you know, way of teaching. And so, I, yeah, I think, once I started to dig into the research a bit more and, um, you know, like, like I said before, looking at, at, at those first two books, that was just kind of the start of it. And, and um, you know, once I started to, you know, discover that there were these, you know, different groups online or, um, you know, different educators who were starting to demonstrate how they were doing things in their own classroom, um, yeah, I found that to be yeah, even more effective way of learning. And then as I kind of moved up into um, like middle leadership roles, it was, it was more about like just supporting, like trying to figure out where teachers were actually at and um, trying to support them in making small changes because it can be quite overwhelming. Like you said before, if you look at everything, uh, there's just, you know, there's so much, research so much to understand and then it's like well where do I start like you don't you, you can't expect teachers to to make wholesale changes across every little aspect that they're, that they're teaching um but yeah that's that's kind of the end goal um and so if we're just uh seeing what we want to have you know have happening at the the uh, end of a lesson it can be quite difficult for teachers to know where do they need to start. And, and so that's kind of, yeah, my, more of my current role is just helping support teachers in understanding that you don't have to do everything at once. It's just, let's just, you know, maybe do a screener at the start or, or try to find out what, um, what the, the easiest first step is. I find that helps a lot as well is, is if um, teachers, rather than looking at, there's so much to change if they just look at well um i'm almost doing this right or i understand this part of um you know the science of reading you know whether it's uh phonics or um you know phonological awareness whatever i find like you know those sorts of areas that teachers have a bit of knowledge in already is probably a good starting point um and yeah if it's a small change um you're a lot more likely to, to kind of see success with them as well Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's also the, the getting the acceptance of recognizing the position they're in. I mean, there's different people that have posted about the stages of grief uh, that teachers go through when they realize that the what they've been taught in their pre-service training and that they've been getting in their professional development doesn't exactly align with best practices. And then they have that guilt for all the students they missed. And uh, that's that's a process in and of its own and getting to the point where you can just say, okay, I can't change the past, but I can change the future and getting that little bit of buy-in. I mean, there are some things that are easy tweaks to alter. Um, You know, one is just working on the vocabulary that you're using in the classroom with your students 
and how that can help them increase their vocabulary and speaking to them at that more intellectual level instead of that younger level. Um, And then, you know, getting into screening, learning how to do it and realize that you're not screening to diagnose, you're screening to identify where your students need the help so that you can then go and give the help. You're not just doing it to tick a box, have it in the, the spreadsheet and move on. You're using it to actually inform your instruction. And once you start seeing those little successes in your students in your class, things do start to smooth out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think like one of the, just just reflecting back on a couple of things that you, you know, you really need to get right um, before you start doing, you know, your, your PO is just uh, giving teachers time. Um, like it's such a big issue for, I'd say, teachers across the world at the moment is just um, having that time to think mm-hmm. and, you know, and we're asking them to to not just learn but to change what they're doing. And if they don't have time to, to think about it properly and to kind of see what the research is actually saying, um, you know, be open-minded and be in that right, right frame to, um, to learn, like with our students, you know, if our students come into the classroom and uh, they've had no sleep the night before or, um, you know, they've got a, a disrupted home, home life, they're not going to be able to learn in our classroom. And that's the same thing for our teachers. So like one thing I've, I've thought a lot about is, well, how can we give time back to teachers and, and whether that's at that whole school level of making, you know, systems and processes more effective um, or showing that you prioritise like professional learning and actually allocating time slots in the school day um, for it to happen rather than, you know, a lot of times we see it happening after school and, um, you know, that, that's the, the worst time for teachers to try to be thinking and learning after they've had a, a big day of, of teaching. Um, and then the other thing is just getting that culture right, like um, having a learning culture and uh, a culture of psychological safety is, is just so important because if we're going to start to ask teachers to change what they're doing after we're, um, you know, for a lot of schools, they've committed to all, the, all this money um, has gone into different approaches which we now know aren't effective um, and so we need to create I guess the right culture so that teachers are able to um, you know put their hand up and say yeah look I need a bit of help here um, or uh, I understand now what we need to be doing differently but we need to yeah find out what what those reasons are before we we start saying um, this is what you have to do I think like if teachers, feel like um, they're being told what to do, all we're going to end up with is that lethal mutation where, you know, um, as I guess uh, educators who know what the science of reading or the science of learning or or the evidence is saying, they are going to kind of get frustrated with teachers when, you know, they're not, I guess, buying into it the way that they'd like and then, Teachers are going to feel like they're being um, spoken to rather than um, being supported. And, yeah, what we'll end up with is we'll end up with all these teachers saying, well, the science of reading doesn't work um, because they have actually tried things, but they haven't implemented it the right way because they didn't actually know why they were doing it. 
Um, yeah, so I guess that's probably like my my biggest concern and, and I guess biggest warning with uh, this next stage that we all go into is, yeah, just making sure that you, you get it right um, for the sake of, you know, um, getting it right. I think it's really important to be understanding and not say that this is how you have to do it. Just saying, you know what, let's take some time to really look at how we learn to read and having the ability to say, okay, well, looking at how the brain learns to read and the processes involved, I mean, we're not expecting teachers to become cognitive neuroscientists and understand all the imaging and the neuroanatomy around it, but just saying, look, we need to connect the meaning to the pronunciation to the spelling. And that's what we need to do. What are the best ways that we can facilitate that? And yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I think like what what we need to, I guess, probably the, the main thing to start with is finding out like what teachers are actually understanding, um, what, what sort of misconceptions are there, and then trying to meet them with where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, if we know what those those sorts of problems are, it'll, it'll make it a bit easier to, I guess, target that professional learning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, and look at what they're doing in the classroom. Um, I think like one of the, one of the things with balanced literacy is that because it can feel successful, um, you know, at the start, like um, when, you, when, you, when you've got students who are happy, and um, they they feel like they're reading because you know they've they've got those predictable readers that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers feel like they've got motivated students who are experiencing success, but they don't actually see what the after effects are. You know, so when when they get into that year three, year four level, when they're expected to read to learn, not just learn to read. Um, they don't see those effects and, and, and they just kind of push the blame onto those teachers or, you know, they'll say things like, um, well, they were reading for me um, or, um, you know, I had them up to this level. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they, they show that they're ready for year three or year four. Um, and so I think, like, that's, that's a, I guess, another area that we, we need to kind of help teachers understand that, that, that when we've got them um, using those predictable readers, they're not actually developing those decodable skills that they need and um, emphasise the fact that it's not just the decodable readers that they're reading. I, I think that's another kind of misconception of this um, this phonics-only um, train of thought and, you know, that they're only reading decodables, you know, for the first kind of two or three years of their schooling. I think that, that seems to kind of be an argument that pops up a lot um, when... Yeah, those, I guess, against the, the science of reading. And, and I don't like to put people on sides. I think we're, we're kind of, we're all on the same side. But, um, yeah, people people tend to align themselves. Um, and when they do that, they can, they can get a bit caught up with with um, being so connected to that one side that they, they fail to see, I guess, the inadequacies of, of what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing, that I guess you have a 
one of a unique perspective, at least here, it's not super common to go from high school to primary school. Um, at least, you know, it does in some of the smaller areas uh, based on need, but you have the experience of seeing what using, you know, the balanced literacy approach has and the multi queuing system, the meaning, um, why am I blanking? Meaning, whatever, the MSV. Seeing what that looks like in students in high school and understanding that, yeah, I mean, if we give them a predictable text, that's great, but our, our high school textbooks aren't there. And I think that's where, you know, the teachers in the primary years when they're doing their running records and measurements that are designed to support that reading uh, strategy, you get this false sense of hope and belief. And then when you do that authentic text reading, when it's not predictable, we can't use the pictures, uh, it gets discouraging. And trying to go from something that you think your kids are, or your students are getting the support that they need to something that's uncomfortable because it's new to you it can be very intimidating. And it's all about trying to make it so you can see the success early. Yeah, um, you know, I think one of the things we, we know about motivation is that when you experience success early, it, um, it motivates you. And, and so we do see engaged students using those methods. Um, whereas it can be difficult to learn how to decode and, you know, and students can look like they're struggling, but, you know, like uh, adults, as adults, we suffer from the curse of knowledge where we, we forget what it was actually like to learn to read. And, and so that's why, uh, you know, a lot of those who are, you know, for those, those kind of balanced literacy practices, it's like, um, they forget what it was actually like to learn how to, to decode properly. And, and like I, I know as someone who, who went through those kind of, you know, balanced literacy practices and learning to read, and I went through reading recovery, um, like I can still remember, like I found it difficult. And even to this day, like I know I've got gaps in my own knowledge as, as to how, uh, how to spell different words and, because I wasn't taught explicitly that mm. way. Uh, you know, and again, in, like you said, in high school, um, reading and writing was kind of like, unless you're teaching English, like it, it's kind of just seen as one of those things that students should already be able to do. And even in English, to an extent, like um, the students in, in those lessons, they are not really being taught explicitly how to write a certain way. Um, and they're definitely not being taught how to read um, at all it's that's just all assumed knowledge by the time they get into high school but almost you know when you think about it in high school almost every subject I'd say every subject requires you to read and write um, at different stages and so if if teachers aren't being given those skills um, as to I guess how to explicitly support um, students at that level uh, well then yeah the, the students are going to struggle um, and, and, yeah, like I think here in Australia, there are some teachers who are starting to develop a bit more of an understanding on, of the science of reading um, and, you know, that structured literacy approach. 
but yeah, that'll probably be, I guess, the next step. Like, is is once we kind of start to get things right in primary school, um, there'll be that flow-on effect in high school as well. But yeah, like for me, just seeing like I, I would say on average, probably every year. 10, 20% of students coming, entering high school just disengaged already, like before they even started, uh, whether that is because they have reading difficulties or um, they're, they're lacking in confidence because they haven't, you know, they've gone through that those year three to year six in Australia, we have it here in primary school, um, you know, those, those primary years and they have just not been experiencing success and, um, yeah, by the time they get to high school, they're, they're just, they're basically clocked out already. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's quite difficult as a teacher to uh, find those connections again. Like, you know, I think the other thing you need to understand in high school is that they've then got different teachers throughout the day for every subject. And so where in primary school, you know, you might have the classroom teachers um, developing those relationships. And so maybe... But those students who um, aren't achieving as well academically, they're still being supported, um, you know, with their well-being. Um, but yeah, you just lose both of those things uh, in high school. Yeah, if you don't get them early. So that's why it's, our job in primary is just so important um, to get it right because you know you, you might not always kind of get the rec- recognition. Um, you know, by the time they finish high school, the students tend to forget about you. But, um, yeah, it's really important just to get those those fundamentals right um, in primary. And, you know, from what I'm, I'm seeing and learning now, it's we know what to do, um, but now it's just... You're cutting out again. Okay, yes implementing it and you're back we're good <laughs> yeah uh yeah so um i guess like the the next step is is just getting schools to understand like that they need to move past that that sunk cost fallacy where you know they've invested so much money into like you know different programs and stuff and um, it's a matter of looking past that and and seeing the you know the immediate effects are that we need to just get reading right and, and get reading and writing right and get get those literacy practices right um, because the longer we leave it like the the more students the more young people are, are getting affected. Well, and the more it's more expensive every year that goes by to do the intervention, right? Yeah. And you lose, you get the learned helplessness and the fixed mindset students where they're like, I'm done. I'm stupid. I'd rather be bad than stupid in everybody else's eyes or the, the, you know, the class clown than someone that can't read or can't spell. And the other thing is the time as students get older, it's so much more difficult to get that intervention time into the day because what are they going to miss? So if we're able to do the the screening early, get the intervention in early while everybody else is still learning how to read, 
then they're not missing those fun things that they want to learn with their peers. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like we, if, if we get that tier one teaching right, then we don't have to send as many students into the, the tier two and, and tier three, um, because yeah, we're able to either catch them earlier, or the tier one is, is just going to be more effective. So there's less students that need to go into tier two or tier three anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely an important point to make. Yeah. So after you started doing the screening in your classroom and, you know, more of the explicit teaching, where, where has it gone to now? Like, I know you're in a different role, but at the end of your time as just being a classroom teacher, what was it looking like? Um, I guess, you know, because you, you have more, more set routines in place as well. And so, you're able to um, bring the student's attention into the things that matter, you know, so the learning um, that you want, the, the new learning that you want the students to be gaining uh, because of routines that you're setting up. And so that's just, you know, things like, so, um, you know, I was, I was using uh, retrieval practice, um, you know, basically on a daily basis, whether you call that daily reviews or whatever. Um, and so students knew, you know, they'd come in and, and we'd go through these, these different routines where we're looking at that um, retrieval practice and we go into, you know, the explicit teaching part and, and students would, you know, I, I'd model to them, this is what a good one looks like. And then we kind of um, go into what they actually needed to do. Um, what did I see? I just saw students um, having a better understanding on firstly what was expected of them um, and how they needed to get there just through offering, like I said, yeah, that the model and, and, um, and supporting them as they needed to um, move through, yeah, the uh, gradual release of responsibility. And how did that impact, you know, the behaviour and the camaraderie in the classroom as a whole versus yeah. doing the, the literacy circles? Yeah, I think life behaviour is a big one. Um, Firstly, like you, as a teacher, you've got eyes on everyone rather than just that, that small group. You know, like what you find is if you haven't set up those groups properly, you, you, you end up going from um, you're trying to be with one group, but because there's different issues or whether it's, it might even just be questions, you know, mm-hmm. the students might just have questions that they, they don't quite understand what they need to do. So you're, you're with one group and then you have to get up and you go and help this other group. Um, and then you come back and you oh, where, where were we up to? And, and so it's, it just wasn't effective at, at, at all. Whereas, you know, what I found with that whole class, um, I was able to get more students thinking for more of the time on the things that mattered. Um, and then I was able to, you know, check for understanding a lot more effectively. Um, I just had a better idea as to where they were at and what they were learning. Um, and, and the students knew what they needed to do to get there. Um, I think like those, those sorts of conversations and those directions are just really important. Like, you know, I mentioned before that, that curse of knowledge where um, as teachers, we can kind of just assume things a lot in the classroom. And um, yeah, like without that kind of constant back and forth checking for understanding and, um, and, and the explicit teaching part of it and, and offering those models if you, if you kind of skip those aspects, um, the students, they can, they can nod their head or, you know, that they might not ask a question, 
but that doesn't actually mean that they understand what they need to do. Um, yeah, so, you know, I've found that in, in my teaching to be uh, probably like one of the most important um, parts of it is just going through those, teaching those routines early, like the, the expectations and, um, and uh, you know, how, how I expect all of my students to be thinking all of the time. Um, you know, like I'm not going to just accept um, one or two students to be thinking in my class. I want everyone to be thinking, whether that's, you know, doing your turn and talk routines or um, no hands up type um, questioning. Uh, yeah, I've just found those to be quite effective in, in getting students to learn mm-hmm. and think. Now your role has evolved and let's talk about where you are now and what you're doing. I know tomorrow we're going to be talking about making changes across your school, but let's talk a little bit about how you got to that, that position you're in now. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of like a, a middle leader. I'm like, I know there's different names for, for this role. Like officially it's an assistant principal, um, but yeah, middle leader. How did I get into the role? It was probably um, just through like hard work and then being in the right place at the, at the right time. So uh, kind of always knowing that my end goal was to move into like a leadership position, and then thinking about what things did I need to do to get there, um, and then not not allowing my title to stop me from doing those things. So when I was a classroom teacher, just trying to I guess, uh, behave more like a, a leader rather than, yeah, just a, a teacher. Um, so that was just through, I guess, leading different projects or um, uh, take, taking um, initiative over different things. And, and then once I kind of um, started to think, well, you know, what do I need to do next to get there? It was just a matter of applying and then the right leader kind of gave me that opportunity like I know that um, over here like it can be quite a tricky process um, in terms of you know writing your CV and then um, getting in front of the, the, the right people and so I was lucky I was fortunate to um, have a, a principal who I guess saw how my background um, would be beneficial uh, to their leadership team uh, Whereas, like, you know, a lot of other principals would have looked at my background and thought, well, you know, how can we uh, have, you know, a high school teacher who's run a cafe, um, you know, be an assistant principal at our school. But, I, yeah, I found uh, I was, yeah, fortunate to be given an opportunity with someone who was quite open-minded and, and saw uh, what I had to offer in, in that sort of position. And I guess I've, I've just tried to just be authentic the whole time and, and just stick to what my purpose was of, of um, doing what was best uh, for our students, you know, and our young people. And, and that, that has just meant that, you know, sometimes I haven't always just agreed with um, what everyone else is doing or saying. And, um, you know, I've tried to just keep, uh, like I said, that open mind and, and continually ask questions, you know, like, why are we doing this or, um, you know, how can we make things more effective? Uh, because I, I guess I see, like, teachers are, are struggling so much. I don't want to be wasting time or uh, to be doing things that aren't effective. 
um, yeah, because, you know, our students deserve better. Well, and our teachers deserve better too, right? It's not just yeah. the students, it's the teachers. Success breeds success. And anything that we can do to help everyone in the situation uh, is definitely an important step for us. And a lot of the research is showing the importance of the administrative roles, having that knowledge, because then you can help lead your school in that change, which is again, what we're gonna be focusing on more tomorrow in our conversation. Um, but you've gone beyond just thinking about your school. You've created with Learn With Mr. Lee and you've got some great resources on there about how it looks like in the classroom. Can you speak a little bit about to why you've created and what you've been able to put into there? Yeah, um, I guess that I, I decided to do that when, like, like I said before, it's a way of me solidifying my own learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just found I had all of these resources and everything on ideas and um, things in my head or in different places. I, I use Google Keep a lot um, to down my own notes but um, I didn't find that it was in a very structured manner and so um, I just wanted to put it all in one place and then I knew that um, you know in the future I was going to have to kind of lead this sort of change at my school Uh, and I thought like I'd rather have one place to point them to um, as to you know look this is not what because a lot of times like we um, when we hear things being said you know we we just kind of link it back to that person that's saying it. And so I wanted, um, you know, my staff to understand, like, this is this is not my thought. I'm not saying this. This is just what the evidence is. And so to move away from, um, you know, that halo effect of then linking um, my words to me, I wanted them to just look at, well, this is the, the original source of the information. Um, and I've just tried to put it in one place um, and things that I've learned for teachers like uh, I think like that's kind of what has resonated with a lot of um, teachers even outside of my school is that they appreciated just having one place to go to where they they could find that information and um, you know I saw a bit of a gap in having a destination where teachers could actually see what it looked like because um, a lot of that theory um, is is still quite abstract for teachers at the start. So they're hearing about things and yeah, it makes sense. Um, you know, it links in with um, cognitive load theory and uh, you know, how, how the, the brain works and, and you know, our memory system and everything. Um, but what does it look like? You know, what do I have to do? Because teachers just want to know, well, what do I, how do I do this in the classroom? So I've tried to provide as many, I guess, practical examples on there, whether that's um, videos or um, you know like a, another thing is like the timetables like how do they, how do they fit it in and scope and sequences and so yeah you know, I put those things on there um, to support teachers in seeing what it looks like in the classroom um, yeah there's there's a whole bunch of videos so you know it's and it's on all sorts of things from um, reading and writing you know you got your uh, phonological awareness and uh, fluency and comprehension so there's there's things from books that i've read and uh then just links and look a lot of like i said before that reading science in schools um facebook group has has been a really good place to go to and 
um, yeah, I've spoken to a few of the, the girls on there about like, um, you know, using their resources and had different people look at it. Um, Professor Pamela Snow, you know, she she endorsed it and um, and same with uh, Jennifer Buckingham and, and, and they kind of had a quick look over it as well because, it, you know, sometimes it can be hard to know, wait, is this evidence-based or is it not? And, yeah, so it was um, even now, like, I think I, I put it up there at the start of the year and, and I was looking at it again uh, the other day when, when uh, we organised to speak and I was like, oh, there's a lot that I could add to this now. You know, just in six months, um, so much comes out, whether that is it's practical stuff or um, new research uh, that comes out. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'll try to keep it up to date as much as possible. But, yeah, hopefully it's, it's just another resource for teachers um, and educators to to use it as a way of um, making those links as to uh, to you know what the the research is saying and then how do they actually implement it in the classroom? What does that look like? Because yeah, as I said, I think that's probably um, the most important part now is is just getting getting it right when you do do it and understanding why you're doing things. Because I, I think um, a lot of teachers there they're looking for programs to tell them what to do. And the danger with those programs is that they can be misinterpreted or they can be seen as um, black and white. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have that background knowledge to understand how to um, use it in your setting and what, what different things mean and why you're doing certain things, um, yeah, that's where we're going to kind of run into trouble. Like I said before, that um, lethal mutation is, uh, yeah, a, a, a thing that I'm looking out for and, and I think we've got to be careful with if we are uh, promoting programs. Because I think, like, in, in, in one sense, it's um, a really good way to go for teachers because then it takes um, their cognitive load away from putting the resource together. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so having, like, a... A, you know, like a good solid program there that they can follow uh, can be good because then they, uh, you know, they're basically being led through what they need to do. Um, you know, and there are good programs out there that do that, but without the professional learning behind it, um, yeah, it just won't be effective. So, yeah, I, I think like for any, I guess, leaders or teachers who are looking for programs, just keep that in mind that if you do, um, implement some sort of program at your school that you do that combined with the professional learning. Can we have the Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and I think it highlights the importance of lifelong learning and realizing that teaching is definitely a profession where that's needed. Uh, and going forward, being comfortable with always looking for new things and building that foundation. I mean, ideally our curriculums are gonna to get to the point where everything, they shouldn't have to look for a program to do that. And they shouldn't have to look to teachers, pay teachers or you know websites. They should be able to trust their curriculum and their district to have the resources there for them to implement the professional development available for them to provide it 
and having that resource team or the point staff that they can have to support them. One thing that we haven't really spoken about is, you know, using that knowledge within the school and accessing teachers. I guess you spoke about the um, non-enrolling teacher that helped supported you on your beginning journey where she's saying, oh, well, no, you don't actually have to do all these literary CC circles. Let's try and move forward and just not being afraid to ask for help. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think while, you know, some teachers, they might not be using the science of reading, that doesn't mean that they're not effective teachers or, um, you know, they're not experienced and they've, they've all got a lot to offer. Um, and I think it's important that we're not, we're not trying to play the blame game here um, and we're not, we're not trying to say that uh, you're a bad teacher. But, yeah, I think all of us have room for improvement. And, and like you said before, you know, that lifelong learning is just so important. But that again, that comes back to the culture um, and allowing the time for teachers to feel like they can learn um, and, and change because it does take time, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, if we can, if we can kind of get get it right and, and support them in doing it and um, and appreciate what they do have to offer, because you know, like I said, a lot of times um, it's not actually that hard for them to make the change because they have the knowledge that they need. It's in there, but they've just been structuring their lessons differently, um, or I guess unstructured, you know, in a way, um, and that approach means that not all the students in their class are necessarily um, getting the the instructions that they need, um, you know, in, in that that manner that will support them best. Mm -hmm. And there are elements that they've already been using that probably do fit into um, the science of reading that they can just tweak a little bit. And it's understanding those, oh, okay, well, so you've been working with Alconan boxes. Well, we can take that one step further by doing this. Um, you know, talking about like I know schools here, there are a lot of them that have great spelling programs that are really good about, you know, explicitly teaching the, you know, the vowel phonemes and uh, graphing phoneme correspondences. But currently they're separate from the reading instruction program. Right. So it is just making those little tweaks. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to our conversation tomorrow. And if you are looking for the resources we are, um, Brenda and Lee mentioned during our conversation, they will be available on the replay links because uh, you mentioned a couple books and the Thinking Forward Educators. And I will include a link to your website where people can get access to some of this great information you've put together. Thank you. No worries.